Hey there, Jabronis. My name is Charlie, and I'm one of the hosts of Rock Talk, along with my buddy Jordan. First off, thanks for listening. Secondly, Rock Talk can be enjoyed in any order you want. We put out episodes every Thursday. But we suggest that you listen to the newest episodes first, and you could eventually work your way back to these early episodes if you want to see how this whole thing got started. Trust me, the newer ones are better in terms of audio quality, format, and frankly, my and Jordan's talent level. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Rock Talk, a guide to the films of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm Jordan. And I'm Charlie. Today we're talking about the 2013 movie Pain and Gain, starring Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson, and Anthony Mackie. Yeah, so this is a Michael Bay film, uh, and it's about the three the three stars there. They're all Miami bodybuilders, and they are robbing, killing, and kidnapping their way to make money and, in a sense, achieve the American dream. But before we jump into that, first, as always, let's take a look at The Rock in the News. Yeah, today we actually had three pretty big pieces of news. First off, it was his birthday. May 2nd was his, was Dwayne Johnson's birthday. He turned 25 years old, born May 2nd. I think you mean 45 uh, there. What did I say? 25. 25. <laughs> but he looks 25. He looks 25, honestly. He, he looks good. Um, yeah, he turned 45. The second bit of news, uh, and Michael Moore in an interview said that he wants Dwayne Johnson to run for president in 2020. Honestly, not the worst idea. He's got a ton of crossover appeal, big old smile. And honestly, if Donald Trump has taught us anything, you know, you don't have to be a politician to become the president. I guess oh, I say go for it. For sure. I mean, I know that some polling companies and during the 2016 election would sort of insert his name in there for future 2020 candidates. And he got a significant portion of the vote. I, this thing started out. I think is a joke, but it's kind of built into a fever pitch and it actually led him to have to respond to it. And he said that he wouldn't rule anything out. Yeah. And honestly, I, I'm just looking forward to a 2020 where it's the rock against Kanye West going toe to toe for the presidency. I'm, I think we could, I think actually we could see that happen. (laughs) Kanye. uh, Well, would Dwayne Johnson run as a Republican or as a Democrat? Or as an independent, I guess. So that's what's interesting is he's actually a, a registered Republican. and Yeah, he spoke at the mm-hmm. Republican convention in what year was that, like 2000 or yeah, 2004? Yeah, yeah and, and, that's, and that's what's crazy is that – but I think that even with that, I think he's one of the least polarizing figures out there. So I think if you wanted a mainstream Republican candidate, he'd be your guy. Yeah, for sure. Additionally – the Rock kicked off production of his new movie, Rampage. Uh, I guess it's based on a video game. Jordan, I think you know a little bit more about this than I do. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of the old school video game, Rampage. Uh, and the story in the video game is very loose. Uh, it's essentially about two men and a woman who are transformed via some sort of nuclear accident into towering skyscraper-sized versions of a gorilla, a lizard, and I believe some sort of dinosaur lizard creature. So essentially, that's what this entire movie is on. Uh, I am very interested to see where they take it. I love the fact that The Rock is in this movie. It's the perfect Rock film. Lots of explosions, lots of fighting, and very loose plot. So I'm I'm all in. 
So is this somehow, is this like a superhero movie? What exactly is Rampage? Well, I don't, I, I guess you could, anything with The Rock seems like it, it gets some sort of an essence of a superhero movie. <laughs> but this, this, I guess, would be more in the realm of Tron as it's, I guess, it's so, it's tied in solely with a video game. I mean, there's no Rampage lore. There's no backstory to Rampage. It's, it was really just a, a, a quarter feeder in arcades. Oh. No, I know what you're talking about now. This is the where you play as King Kong and Godzilla, and you beat up buildings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But how are they making a movie based on this? <laughs> that's that's it. exactly. I don't know. I mean, there's there is there is no plot in the video game. It really right, is you just, just move city to city and destroy things. Correct. And I, I read a little bit on the Rock's Instagram post about this, and essentially, they've crafted this this elaborate tale of. Uh, kind of justifying why a movie would be made. Essentially, it's I think that and I think that the story that they're going with is 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 about genetic testing. Uh, so a gorilla, a crocodile, and a wolf are they fall victim to evil genetic editing, rapidly changing every strand of their DNA. So it's a very confusing thing. And in this in in this movie, The Rock is playing the best friend of a rare al- albino gorilla. <laughs> um, so I can't wait to see that movie. It's going to be incredible. You know, it sounds pretty close to, I know that they're eventually going to make a, a Godzilla versus King Kong movie. Um, and it sounds kind of like, kind of like that. Honestly, if the rock isn't in that, it's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, that's it for the news. Uh, I think right now it's time to break down this week's movie, uh, pain and gain. That's right. So Pain and Gain, as you said, a 2013 production. It's actually directed by Michael Bay, which is it makes all the sense in the world once you start watching this movie. But let's just jump right into it. This movie stars three bodybuilders, uh, and that would be Daniel Lugo, played by Mark Wahlberg, Adrian Dorball, played by Anthony Mackie, and then Dwayne Johnson, who, who plays Paul Doyle in this film. And the three of them are essentially, like we said, Trying to go, it's like a rags to riches story in a way, uh, but a lot more gruesome than that, obviously. Yeah, kind of like a, a ripped to riches movie because everyone in this movie is jacked. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> and that's honestly, that is not an exaggeration. This movie's got more muscly dudes than anything I've ever seen in my entire life. It's crazy. Uh, there's that movie with Jamie Lee Curtis and John Travolta where it's like a workout movie. Right, right, uh, right, right. What right. is that? Oh, gosh, what is it called? I forget, but it's like an aerobics movie. This is sort of the same thing, just in a little difference. It, I guess it's set up kind of like a dark comedy. And just off the bat, I have to say that the acting in this movie is probably among the best I've seen from The Rock. It's stellar. The Rock plays – it's a pretty serious take on his character. Uh, and he's essentially – he's a former convict and a cocaine addict who becomes a born-again Christian uh, upon leaving prison. So that's just off the bat the character that we're working with here. Okay, so let's just jump right into it, starting with Act 1. And that has Daniel Lugo, as who's a personal trainer at a gym in Miami. Uh, and he meets Victor Pepe Kershaw. And Victor Kershaw is a rich businessman uh, with a huge amount of wealth. 
He lives in a very a very glorious mansion in Miami. And basically, he has the life that Daniel himself wants. And Daniel feels that as a bodybuilder, you know, he's the epitome of human physical perfection, you know, a superhero in a sense. Why can't he have all the finer things that Victor Kershaw, this kind of old, stereotypically Jewish man, you know, how come he doesn't have everything that Victor has? He deserves it. In his mind, he deserves it. Uh, the opening monologue in this movie, I think, is is pretty fantastic. You know, he says, my name is Victor Lugo, and I believe in fitness. And that kind of sets the tone for the entire movie. Uh, he's really big uh, into sort of self-improvement, but it doesn't really kick into place until he goes and sees a motivational speaker. Yeah, and so he does, he goes, like you said, he goes to this motivational speaker, Johnny Wu, played by Ken Jeong from... Uh, you probably recognize him from the Hangover, Hangover movies. Series. Yeah, he's also in Community. He's in all sorts of stuff. I think he has his own show now called Doctor Ken. And so, what you what what Daniel Lugo learns from Johnny Wu is this idea of of being a doer, uh, which is what Johnny Wu says. It's basically this idea of you know go out there and take what you want. You yeah, know, if you can dream it, you can do it. And it it really sets up a brilliant thing because it lets Mark Wahlberg say, "Be a doer." Be a doer. <laughs> yeah. 50 times in this movie. It's great. This movie is just fabulous. I mean, Mark Wahlberg's character in this movie is basically a rehash of his character, Dirk Diggler from Boogie Nights. I mean, just a beautiful <laughs> idiot. I mean, he he tries so hard. And I, I don't think he's ignorant in this movie. I just think that he he just doesn't have the mental capacity mm-hmm. to... Uh, to do a lot of the things he's setting out to do. And I, and, and we see that further on in this movie uh, of, of his botched execution. Yeah. And it like, it makes it all the more brilliant in that he's really the Daniel ocean of this movie uh, in that he then builds his team of, of, of bodybuilders to go, you know, to be doers with him and go get that money, go get that American dream. And so that's when we meet the team uh, and first is Anthony Mackie's character, Adrian Dorball. Adrian's great. Adrian is, is Daniel Lugo's best friend. They've been friends for life. His, I guess the motivation for him joining the team is that he has, uh, as a result of steroid use, a uh, severe erectile dysfunction problem. Yeah, yeah. And he's... He- on one hand, he kind of seems embarrassed by it, but on the other hand, he tells everyone. So I can't really. I mean, I guess other bodybuilders would may relate because of their own steroid use. So uh, who knows? But yeah, he seems to be an oversharer for You're sure. You're right, though. For someone who is at times humiliated by this, he does go out of his way to tell every single character in this movie that the reason he's doing this is because he has like. He has penis problems. He just over and over again, Anthony Mackie is saying this. Moving on, that's when we meet finally the Rock's character in this movie, and that would be Paul Doyle. Like I said, he's a former convict and cocaine addict who, after leaving jail, becomes a born-again Christian, which results in some of the greatest lines in this movie and some of the best costume choices, including a lot of Jesus First t-shirts, which are just awesome to see the Rock oh, They're great. And <laughs> at one point, he's doing yard work in all-white overalls. And uh, we haven't really discussed this yet, but one of, one of the categories, one of the awards that we like to give some of these movies is the sweatiest scene. And that has to be up there. I mean, he is dripping with sweat, and I think he's working and living at a church. And so there's a priest over by him who's sitting there like, you know, ogling his body. It's sort of an uncomfortable <laughs> scene. Uh, but it also, it just, it kind of, it helps set the tone of this movie that it's sort of 
a heightened reality. Um, you know, this movie is a true story, but they do take some liberties. Um, and a, a lot of the liberties that they take are this movie is supposed to be set in 1995, but all over the place, there's signs that this really isn't 1995. There are cars in this movie that didn't come out until five years after. Yeah, they couldn't have uh, tried less to make this an accurate period piece. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, I think it's all for the better. It just really this this movie's incredible. And I guess we I just we have to mention, I think we should play the clip of when Daniel Lugo and Adrian Dorball are recruiting The Rock to join the team. They take him to a strip club. And that's when we have this incredible interaction between Anthony Mackie and The Rock, where Anthony Mackie is trying to convince uh The Rock's character to drink his breast milk. Um it's gonna give him, I guess special boost in the gym as far as weightlifting is concerned. So let's let's okay. get right to that. Hey, is that breast milk? What? Is that breast milk? Why would that be breast milk? Because this is, listen, you take this, you put it in there, and you got the real HGH. I'm talking about a steroid shake. I got this pregnant chick I buy it from. She real clean, too. No. No, 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 for real. She just got a test and everything. Oh my, you ever suck a pregnant woman titty? Oh my God, this is so good. Come on, try some. It'll make you great, man. You already big, but you could be big up, you know? I'm big. I'm going to be swole, though. Walk sideways through doors. You want some? We can be titty brothers. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with no. Excuse me. What you? All right, so that clip is amazing. Uh, first of all, if I want to see The Rock drink milk. I think that this whole movie is just one big sexy got milk commercial. <laughs> Starting with the white overalls. Now we're drinking breast milk. Later we have The Rock in a shot-for-shot recreation of Vin Diesel's all white wedding outfit from the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> so I am really hoping for some sort of a milk crossover. But let's just get to act two because that now kind of leads us into the actual kidnapping of Victor Kershaw. Now that Daniel Lugo has built his team, it's time to finally go out there and be a dua. And by doing that, they're going to kidnap Victor, extort him for all of his money and property. And uh, and then what, you know, and then I guess it's not really clear what their plan is for afterwards. Um, it's kind of yeah. Basically, uh, basically they hatch their plan, and their plan is they're going to kidnap Victor Kershaw and torture him into signing over everything that he owns over to them. And so this this sets up a really fun scene where you know the the kidnapping process where we have the Rock in a ninja costume, we have Anthony Mackie wearing this alien outfit. Uh, they botch one kidnapping attempt, they get it right the second time. And then they drag Victor Kershaw to one of his own warehouses, which and, and I don't know why, but this is so funny to me. It's just full of sex toys. And I don't know what the deal was with that decision, but this this warehouse is head to toe with dildos and sex toys. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. It doesn't really add to the plot at all. <laughs> if anything, it just it just <laughs> makes makes it funnier. I guess, I mean, they're torturing this guy. They have him kidnapped. But meanwhile, you have like all these blow up dolls and all sorts of sex toys uh, everywhere around in this gigantic warehouse. Where did they find this warehouse? That's the question I had in this movie is like, are there just giant warehouses full of uh, <laughs> sex goods? Uh, 
I mean, it, what's going on in these warehouses? Right. I, we need someone to get out there and make take a survey of what's going on. It it, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, Honestly, I, it should be in 60 minutes. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at this point, they're slowly but surely getting the signatures that they need from Kershaw to be able to start accumulating his wealth and property. Um, and also at this point, uh, interestingly enough, the rock starts to strike up an unlikely friendship with Kershaw. Uh, and I think that he actually, Victor actually dubs him at one point Eldad, trying to appeal to the Rock's, you know, born-again Christian roots. I think it's just some made-up, he says it's Hebrew. It's not yeah. Hebrew. Um, it's kind of like reverse Stockholm Syndrome. Yes. Uh, he's, you know, Victor Kershaw is trying to, to get uh, Paul Doyle on his side so that maybe he would let him free. And at least at first, it appears to, to work. They, they bond on some things. Uh, the Rock, in this movie especially, is very charming and charismatic. But he also just, he, I feel like he's a people person, and he just wants to be friends with everyone. And unfortunately, it leads to a, it leads to a climactic moment where Victor attempts to escape. Uh, the Rock, of course, stops him. Victor is you know bound and blindfolded and... Uh, isn't going to get far when you're up against 300-pound Dwayne The Rock Johnson. This also leads to one of my favorite rock lines in this movie. I think we have a clip of it, um, so let's go ahead and play that one. Damn it! Why'd you make me do that to you, Victor? I have responsibilities! Jesus Christ himself has blessed me with many gifts. One of them is knocking someone the fuck out. That's a great line. I really hope The Rock himself put that in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was totally ad-libbed. Um, uh, and then and then what is it, Charlie? Then they go to the – that's when, this is when they try to kill Victor, right? They decide that he's only going to try to escape from here and that they can't contain him. So their only move now is killing Victor to hide the evidence and – uh, just like everything, they 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 don't know what they're doing. They've obviously they're not career criminals, and so what they they try to frame his death as a drunken driving accident. That's right. And so they they pretty much set Victor up in the driver's seat of a car. They load him full of booze, and they try to crash the car into a light pole. Unfortunately, Anthony Mackie's character had. Uh, buckled his seatbelt. So Victor survives the initial impact. Uh, so then Daniel Lugo decides, you know, let's just blow the car up, set it on fire. They go ahead and do that. And Victor Kershaw just, just still won't die. He crawls out of the car. Yeah, that whole scene is actually kind of hard to watch because it's all very slow. And uh, poor... Uh, Paul Doyle in this because he, you can tell he's just a kind-hearted guy who's only doing this for the money. He doesn't want to kill anyone. And the whole time, uh, Daniel Lugo is telling him, you can, because he's driving the truck, and after they botch the car wreck, they decide they're going to run him over. And uh, and they do. But you can tell it just, it just pains the rock. Yeah, and, and, and so that essentially sets up Act 3, which is now they have all of Victor's money and property each of them gets their cut, and we kind of get a sense of how each of them is living after the the entire ordeal. And then we have, you know, Daniel Lugo. He's now he's living in Victor Kershaw's house. He's becoming popular in the neighborhood, talking with the neighborhood kids, 
I actually thought that was I think his I think Mark Wahlberg's interaction with children in this movie is some of the best interaction between an adult and a child in any movie ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, because he's kind of childlike himself. Right. He's just a big he's just a big kid. Uh, and in this movie, a, a big just ripped kid. Um, it's still frightening to me. So that's Daniel Lugo. Then we get a shot of of Adrian. He's married to the nurse from the penile clinic played by Rebel Wilson. Rebel Wilson is amazing in this movie. Yeah, That's they, all I had to say. they did not give her anything to do, but she crushes every single scene that she's in. Yeah, so one of the things is there's a sex scene between her and Anthony Mackie, and it's the most unerotic thing I think I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. She's on top of him. I think he has handcuffs on, and she has like she she has nunchucks in bed. And apparently, I was reading up on the trivia, she brought her own nunchucks. It wasn't even written at the oh scene. My God. Oh she my just God. showed up to the set. <laughs> She just showed up to the set with nunchucks and thought that it would make the scene better. And guess what? She was right. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's it's again, it's those kinds of touches that make this movie so enjoyable. You know, this movie could have been shot in a pretty serious way. They could have gone all dark, but it's those moments that are just so surreal and and like you said, larger than life that really make this movie uh, just such a fun like fantasy. And that's a crazy testament to the fact that it's actually a true story. So I yeah. think that's just mind blowing. This is Michael Bay's like lowest budget in movies since like I think Bad Boys Two. So he had like twenty years or fifteen years of making these just massive, massive movies uh, with hundred million dollar budgets. And apparently, this was something that he wanted to do. That he wanted to do this movie since like two thousand, and he got science, he got bogged down with Transformers movies. But by the time he finally got around to making it. He only had twenty million dollars to do it. So for twenty million dollars, a lot of money. But for a Michael Bay movie, that's like that's a shoestring budget. I gotta say, I, I'd kind of like to see more Michael Bay movies in this this kind of uh, style. This it's it was this was an oddly artistic movie for a Michael Bay, and I know it doesn't really sound artistic as we're describing it, but the movie is actually you know it, it's super stylish, really stylish. Yeah, it's just yeah. it was so pretty. And I, well, actually, I think the low budgets kind of force a director to get creative and and you kind of see that i mean some of the graphics that pop up in this movie are, are they're almost like in crank when right, you just right. see these wacky things and it's possible that it was sort of inspired by crank yeah i think there's a lot of that influence in here where it's 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 a a heist movie but it almost feels like a comic book in a way the way it's playing out on screen um but anyway Let's get back and, and, and see where The Rock's character is, and that's Paul. And the last that we saw of Paul, he was shattered after they uh, attempted to kill Victor Kershaw. Uh, and so he's in a downward rut. He's back snorting cocaine, uh, and he's just blown all of his money that he earned from the robbery on, on drugs. And so he's now – he kind of hits rock bottom, uh, if you will. And, um, <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> And, and I think that's when it leads to probably what's what kind of kicks off Act Three is the Rock having a breakdown and attempting robbery on his own. He tries to steal some money from an armored car, ends up getting no money, but in the process does get his big toe shot off. In a, yeah, there's this big police chase. He tries to steal the money from the armored truck. He opens up the bag full of money and the ink blots or whatever spray all over him. The cops are after him. There's a big chase scene. He dives into 
the ocean. Dodge, <laughs> I think that this part of the movie is really cool, where he's like dodging these bullets underwater, uh, but one ended up actually hitting his toe, and so he <laughs> he grabbed his own severed toe. <laughs> And carried it with them. This, ha- this had to be the most expensive shot of the movie, right? Like, this was all CG. Like, for a movie where I could not really see any CGI, this was like full CGI, slow motion, gore effects. Like, this yeah. scene to me is just nuts. It was, um, it's pretty crazy. And he then, this then leads him, he, from the water, he goes to Daniel Lugo's house where he runs into Adrian. And Daniel having, is it a is it a a wedding? I think it might be their wedding. I think it might yeah. be Adrian and, and Rebel Wilson's wedding. Yeah. And Paul pretty much says, "Look, we I need to do another job. We need money." And that's when they decide that they're going to rob Frank Griga, uh, porn king of Miami. And if that name sounds pretty surprising to you, it's because literally he is in this movie for all of four seconds before this scene. Uh, and that's in the brief strip club scene, actually when The Rock is drinking breast milk. So it's right around that point. <laughs> yeah, we meet him very briefly, and he comes back in Act 3. They decide that they're going to steal his money uh, because uh, The Rock has blown all of his money from uh, Victor Kershaw on drugs. And so this is also, now when we, this is when, also, there, we should just warn, this is when the movie gets kind of plodding a little bit, Long. The third act is the second half of this movie. The first two acts go by pretty quickly, but this whole they actually spend way more time uh, with Frank Griga and and trying to bump him off than they do with Victor Kershaw, who sort of to me puts into motion the entire chain of events. Right, and and this is also so when we realize that Victor Kershaw is actually alive. Surprise, surprise, uh, you can't kill Pepe Kershaw. Um, and he is now working with Ed Harris's character, who is also introduced right now, who is a, a, a private eye. Uh, and so they're working together to find these three bodybuilders and, and get their money back. And at this point, the trio robs Frank Riga. And that's when a whole lot of crazy stuff goes down. <laughs> Basically what happens is, Mark Wahlberg's character pitches Frank Griga uh, on a on a business proposition. Frank Griga uh, turns him down. Uh, they get into a tussle. He knocks Frank to the ground where a barbell weight falls off and smashes his face. And it was disgusting. Yeah, this scene, I actually think that this scene is awesome. This is such a shocking, this to me was such a, the, probably the most shocking scene of the movie. Yeah. What it reminded me of is the scene in uh, Burn After Reading where yes. uh, yeah, yes. where Brad Pitt gets his face blown off out of nowhere. That and exactly, I love that Exactly. Oh, my God. That's exactly what this is. You, it, it really comes out of nowhere. Suddenly, you know, say what you want about the three of them. They're still pretty likable up until this point. Yeah. Yeah. At this Up until this point, they're bumbling idiots. Uh, but this point... And this is kind of my issue with the movie is the first two acts in this movie, I, I think they breeze by. They're a lot of fun, but the movie kind of gets bogged down in this third act. We're not really entirely sure why they decide to to um, to rip off Frank Griga, and it takes a little too long. So what happens is they, ac- they accidentally kill Frank Griga and his wife, uh, and now they have the problem of they need to dispose their bodies. 
right? And and this sets off. This is probably one of the the most enjoyable scenes in Act Three, where you know Daniel Lugo still calling the shots. He's still very much in charge of what's happening, and so he directs the two other guys. You know, we need to get chainsaws. We need to cut these bodies up. We need to burn off their fingerprints. So they end up getting you know uh, chainsaws, and essentially they start. They just go to town, and it's almost a little bit like kind of reminded me of uh, Reservoir Dogs a little bit. Just the way, like I think there was some fun music playing when they were like shredding these shredding these bodies up. It gets it's a little morbid. Like this movie really t- has taken a dark turn at this point. Yeah, I, I think what it goes for is the the scene at the end of Fargo where they're feeding the guy's body into the wood chipper. Mm, it kind of mm. has that feel to it, and I, I think Fargo does a little better. But uh, it's it's kind of I mean you're just so shocked that it's happening in this movie that it's kind of fun. Yeah. And this is also probably leads us to the, one of the rocks greatest moments in this movie, which is, you know, Daniel and Adrian. Well, I should say Daniel and Adrian go to home Depot because during the chainsaw scene, they get some of the, the hair from Griga's wife in the machine and it doesn't work anymore. And so these guys, geniuses that they are, go back to Home Depot to ask for a refund. Um, <laughs> on, on instruments that they just use to dispose of bodies. Like That should tell you everything you need to know about the quality of these criminals. <laughs> it's like if Dexter, some of his knives weren't <laughs> sharp enough to get rid of bodies, so he took them back to William-Sonoma with right. blood all over. Covered in blood. Essentially <laughs> the same thing. So they, they ultimately do somehow walk out of Home Depot with a new chainsaw, and that's when they walk upon the rock who is outside the warehouse with a little portable grill and he's barbecuing the hands in of public. Frank and his wife in public. Yeah. What is going on in this scene? <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I mean, his I think what he says is, oh, well, you can't barbecue inside. That's dangerous or something. <laughs> <laughs> like he is completely not with it at all. He He does not understand the stakes here. This is also, they have one of my favorite breaking the fourth wall moments in this moment. You know, as soon as they show the rock barbecuing, another little disclaimer pops up on the screen and goes, reminder, this movie is based on true events. <laughs> yeah, just- I, I think it happened like three times in this movie. There's one at the beginning, one in the middle right here, and then at the end it said that this movie was based on true events. So it's so unbelievable that they have to keep reminding you that this actually happened. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. Ultimately, though... This kind of sets off the last few events of the movie. The Rock kind of gets cold feet, and he dips out. Adrian gets his wife finds you know all this bloody rug and stuff at home, and ultimately the police come and arrest him at his house. And then Daniel Lugo attempts an escape uh, to the Bahamas, but the police find him there as well. So ultimately, all three of our bodybuilders unsurprisingly don't get away with this and they're brought before a judge. So yeah, what happens here is the rocks character decides he's going to flip on the other two guys. And so he takes a deal and uh, he only, they're both convicted. He, the rock gets 15 years, but Lugo and Adrian are, are found guilty of double murder, racketeering, a whole laundry list of charges. And they're actually sentenced to death. Yeah, and and it's it's a pretty that scene is actually pretty powerful. You see Anthony Mackie's character just just totally breaking down, um, but tellingly the movie ends with 
with a few different scenes. One of them is this incredible scene of The Rock singing Amazing Grace, uh, which is as as part of a prison choir, which is incredible. But the movie ends on a, a little monologue by, by Mark Wahlberg as Daniel Lugo, pretty much saying, you know... It echoes his monologue at the beginning. Right, exactly. You know, they, they can't keep me down, and I'm a doer, and I believe in fitness, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to get my shot. I'm going to do another... I'm going to get back and, and get back on top. So Daniel Lugo, for what it's worth, doesn't really learn anything in this movie, but it's kind of... I was kind of... It was kind of sweet to me at the end that... I don't know. I actually found it endearing. It brought me back to his character being, you know, really flawed, really, really flawed, but but kind of a sympathetic one where he he does just want to accomplish things. He just wants to be more than who he is. Right, but he also doesn't have a sense between right and wrong. That's so, true. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's also a murderer. People, to get rid of their bodies. He stole everything <laughs> that this guy had, and at the end of it, he doesn't really see that he's done anything wrong. Yeah, there's no lesson learned. There's no moral in this movie. <laughs> Well, not not by Mark Wahlberg. I, I think that um, The Rock's character, throughout the entire movie, you just see that he's kind of a big softy, and he, he all he wants is the money here, and he doesn't really want to go through with these plans. And, and you know, at the end, he gets 15 years, and uh, you see him singing Amazing Grace in the choir, and he's still the born-again Christian that he was before. So he kind of goes through uh, a cycle um, in this movie, he he really has a journey, I think, more than anyone else in this movie. Yeah, and I like when you mentioned the beginning of this, how this is, you know, The Rock is one of the finest actors in this movie. I think that's so evident by the end of it when you do you do recognize that he's had this full transformation and, and full character arc. He really hits on all the highs and lows uh, and you from don't, start to finish. Yeah, you don't get that in a lot of Rock movies. I think a lot of times... He is sort of limited to uh, in the roles that he takes. Uh, and maybe this comes from being in the WWE of he has to be likable all the time, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Tooth Fairy, that's one of the most confusing things in that movie is he's supposed to be uh, kind of a bad guy at first, but he's like way too charming. Uh, the only thing bad about him in that movie is that he he says a, a negative thing to a kid and he's treated like the... A, the, a terrible person. So I think oftentimes he only takes roles in which he always looks good or always looks like a badass or something. Um, and in this movie, you see a, a vulnerability that you don't get in a lot of movies with him. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny you say that. So in, this movie came out in 2013 and it's actually one of five movies that the rock starred in, in 2013. Oh my God. And when well, he, he was the busiest man in Hollywood. Oh, by far. He's like Kevin Hart now. (laughs) Right. He's 2013's Kevin Hart. Yeah. Um, And just wait till we get to Central Intelligence with the both of them. Oh, my goodness. That's going to be an incredible experience. Um, But when you look at the movies he was in in 2013, that includes Snitch, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Empire State, Fast and Furious 6. Those are all, you know, variations of the same character. But in this one, I think he really took a risk. And I think it really paid off. Yeah, he's not playing The Rock. You know, he's playing a character, which I I, I found, even though this, we'll get into this once we start doing enough movies, we'll we'll start ranking them. Even though he's great in it, the movie, I think he's better than this movie at the end of the day. Like I said, I I like the first half of this movie. Mm -hmm. And the back half is just, to me, I thought it was slow and plotting and... 
then it's like they take their time with every little detail up until the end. They get captured and convicted in the span of about five minutes in this movie. Yeah, it's crazy how the the third act goes on for for nearly forty five minutes, but then the conclusion, the part you kind of you know you've been waiting to see the whole movie, is over in a minute and a half. It's like Michael Bay was like, "Wait, are you telling me that we've already shot two hours of <laughs> material here, and I got to wrap this thing up?" Uh, uh, okay, uh, do this, do this, do this, and they're in jail and done. Bing bang boom. So let's now it's time for rock talk final thoughts. Uh, let's go through some of the awards that we've got here. And I know we mentioned it um, uh, for a moment, but we like to give an award for sweatiest scene in a movie. Um, and yeah, I- in this one, I, I there's a, there's so many because you see The Rock doing pull-ups, you see him lifting weights, but I I, th- I don't think you see him quite as sweaty as when he's outside with that barbecue grilling the hands of these people that he was murdered that he murdered. No, he is glistening. He is smiling. It's it is the most and it's it, in addition to being the sweatiest scene, it's also one of the the most surreal in the movie because he is just having a good old time. Like it, it's just out of control, but he he's drenched and it's beautiful. And then the next award that we have is we like to call it Big Rock Little World. <laughs> this is my this might be my favorite one that we do. Uh, this is a scene where the Rock uh, is given is 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 in a, a comedic scene where. His size is made to be an issue, and in this one, I think, I think that it has to be the scene where him he's getting into Mark Wahlberg's car, right? Yeah, he, it's like a, a T-top Pontiac Fiero, and those cars had uh, not really a completely removable roof, but over each passenger seat there was like a removable panel, uh, and the rocket is so big. I, I think he's six four. He's so big that they had to remove the T-tops. For him to fit in. So you see them driving down the street and half of his forehead is sticking out the top <laughs> of the car. Which, which to me can't be that far out from what it's like in real life for The Rock. Well, yeah. In the Fast and Furious movies, you only see him driving in these gigantic cars. And in Ballers, he's always you always see him getting out or stepping out of these like exotic sports cars. But you never actually see him in them and I think that that's why I think he's too big for them. Right, and that's I think that's something that we noticed in the Tooth Fairy also is that he's never in a car, but there's at least two or three scenes of him leaving his Corvette, uh, <laughs> just just transitioning into the rest of the scene. Um, and so now we're gonna take a look and and this is a fan favorite, but the best one liner uh, in the movie and and you know the Rock gives us pre- plenty of material to work with as far as this is concerned. Yeah, pretty early in the movie, in his first monologue, right when we meet his character, he gives this beautiful line reading. Know why habit rhymes with rabbit? Because your whole life disappears down a bunny hole. While you grow long, sensitive ears to better hear the sound of sirens coming for you. Lucky for me, I got saved. Saving all God's creatures was my special mission. So that's incredible. That line could have been spoken by The Rock playing Hobbs in Fast and Furious. I mean, <laughs> that wouldn't be out of place in any Rock movie. I no, think, he disappears into being The Rock in that. Yeah, that's that is what to me is the most beautiful thing about that line is that the rest of this movie, like we said, you know, he's really doing a, a, a stellar job acting in a, as a character, but right there, he just he goes back to just beautiful vintage 
vintage Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, but what does that even mean? <laughs> who who and why you know does it why matter? Rabbit rhymes with rabbit. I mean, and nobody calls it a bunny hole; they call it a rabbit hole. I could kind of see where he was going, and maybe that's the point. And maybe I'm just having a moment; I'm not just getting it. But to me, it just seems. Uh, kind of, I love it because it's so ridiculous, but it, it it doesn't mean anything. Right. It's it's perfect rock using a phrase, and he's acting as if it's a phrase that everyone has always used. Yeah. And he's just owning it as if it's this common part of the vernacular, when really it is one of the most insane lines that could have ever been uttered in this moment. And no one is going to come up with that on the spot. Like it's the least natural line of dialogue I've ever heard. <laughs> right. So this movie is pretty great. Uh, besides a pretty slow third act, it's a pretty fun movie, really stylish, and one of Michael Bay's smartest movies, I'd have to say. Yeah, it's a it's good acting. Uh, I love Mark Wahlberg, too. Um, I like that The Rock doesn't play like he's the wrestler, The Rock, or like every other movie that he's in. Uh, on a scale out of 1 to 10, how many rocks do you give this movie? I actually give this movie a solid seven and a half rocks. Uh, I could watch this movie every once in a while. I think it's a lot of fun, especially the first half. And again, I think it's just really different. I think you get really strong performances from Mark Wahlberg, really strong performance from The Rock. Anthony Mackie is hilarious. And and the story to me is frankly so fascinating in the fact that it's true. And you know, it makes me want to just go online and, and read – all the inf- all, I've read all of the articles about when this actually happened. Uh, it's and it's really they played it pretty close, pretty true to true to story. So I actually yeah I give this you know a high seven maybe an eight maybe an eight on a good day. <laughs> well for me uh, I I think this movie is a good cable movie. All the best moments happen in the first act. Um, so for me it it's obviously better than something like the Tooth Fairy but it doesn't rise to a Fast and Furious 5. So I'm going to give this uh, uh, six rocks out of 10. Mm. Mm. If only there were six rocks in the world. (laughs) Uh, So that's it for Pain and Gain. Check it out. It's a lot of fun, uh, at least for for a Friday night where you don't have anything else to do. Um, And next week we're looking at at a movie that we've been waiting to do for a while, and that's Fast and Furious 6. Oh my gosh. I love this movie. You love this movie. Take a listen to the trailer. So how's the life of a retired international criminal? I need your help, Dom. Last week, a team of highly coordinated drivers took down a military convoy. This most recent job graduated them to a whole new level. Why is that house? This was taken a week ago. He's messing with your head. Lady's dead, no. I need to know for sure. Then I'm going with you. Equipment's way better than that trash in Rio. Way better. So now we work for the Hulk? Things changed. Breathe with me. Our target's Owen Shaw, former major in the SAS Spec Ops soldier. You help us get Letty, we'll get you, Shaw. But we need full pardons all the way around. And cars. Make sure they're fast. We talk of vehicular warfare. We've never seen this before. 
think you've won. This code you live by is about family. It's the very reason you weren't even in the game. that's it for us uh this is rock talk and and thanks for listening i'm jordan and i'm charlie we'll see you next time a sentence for which he seemed legitimately grateful i once was lost but now i'm found